This is the podcast, Putting on a Coat of Colors. This podcast is a community storytelling project of Coat of Colors, a council of Cathedral of Hope, United Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. Our hope is that this podcast will make room for persons of color and their white allies who are both gay and straight to tell their joys and frustrations, to tell their sense of belonging and their sense of exclusion, to celebrate our uniqueness to the larger community and celebrate our commonalities, and to invite members of the larger community to join in this purpose. Thank you for listening. Now let's get started. Here is our podcast host, Thomas Riggs. This is the first section of a podcast conversation between Pam Villanueva, Pat Saxon, and Roger Kennedy, three white allies who have been longtime members of Code of Colors. Their journeys to Cathedral of Hope came from different directions, but there's common themes of seeking a place where they could belong, needing a community that was steeped in activism, and looking for genuine expressions of faith, and finding that Cathedral of Hope is unlike any place they have ever been. And on this fifth anniversary of Code of Colors, each one talks about how they came to participate in a group that they initially believed might be a space for black people only. They also came to realize that it was in proximity where relationships can be built. Um, So I came to Cathedral of Hope uh, at a time when my uh, my tried and true worship practices felt like they didn't fit anymore. And what I was looking for was a message of love um, and a group of people who really were practicing that. So I kind of went on a little uh, scavenger hunt in Dallas and I went to several different churches that sort of had a reputation for social justice and that kind of work. And uh, I came to, when I got to Cathedral of Hope, I thought, well, why would I go anyplace else except right here? (laughs) And I was really captured by the music and the message and the liturgy because I came from a faith background uh, where uh, taking communion was so important. And the open call to communion just captured my heart. Mm -hmm. And I've been here since. And what year, year was that? That was in 2017. Great. How about you, Roger? I have really been looking forward to answering this particular question of a unique story. So I graduated from SMU in 73 as an in-the-closet straight kid. Went back to Topeka to law school, and in 75, bearing in mind that this church started in 1970, two of my friends who were already out convinced me to move back in the fall of 75. And that was the fall of 75 that I first attended MCC. And the interesting thing about that was there were no political organizations for two more years. The Dallas Gay Political Caucus didn't form until late 77. The the MCC was not only the religious center, it was where all the political, John Thomas, Bill Nelson, Don Baker, uh, Vivian Armstrong, Louise Young, I'm a young 25-year-old, they're all a few years older than me, and I'm going to mainly the political discussions, Howie Dare, that would lead into 
what would become the political organizations. It was a fascinating time. They had their debates up there, went to the mic. And then I also started going to services. These were the days of Don Eastman. Mm. And so uh, the fifth year that the church started, I started attending. I remember the pink building in the early 90s when they were building this. Um, and I've never been a technical formal member, but I've been coming off and on for the last, what's that, about 40, 46, 47 years. Wow. Yeah. So, and you know, it's always, it took on a religious and spiritual significance for me because I was fascinated as a kid because everybody was in the closet then except for the very few that were starting organization to, to see this church that was designed for the gay and lesbian community was fascinating to me and it just kind of expanded there but it really started as a political venture because mm -hmm. that's where all of it was happening it was the only venue they had. Mm -hmm. You would be a rich archivist <coughs> for a yeah. I have my own story on the Dallas Way, the DallasWay.org, uh -huh. and I've got my story, it's like 48 or 49 years in the gay community of Dallas. That's amazing. Yeah. So that's kind of my Well, I had um, been away from a spiritual community for a really, really, really long time. And I started, um, I started having these sort of stirrings to get reconnected. And frankly, I was sort of surreptitious about it. I started reading Barb Brown Taylor and Kathleen Norris and some people. And, uh, and I really was, it really was kind of like a guilty pleasure because I um, had had this sort of academics disdain for people who are really churchy. Mm. And uh, to be an agnostic was really much more in, in vogue. So I had, uh, I had been here once when, um, as a member of the Women's Chorus, we sang um, on Mother's Day when David was giving the choir a little break, a well-deserved break. So that day, I think, was really instrumental for me. Michael Piazza was the pastor at the time, and he preached about the feminine face of God. And it was very, very, um, it was very, very moving. And I have to say, it was not the kind of sermon that you usually, you know, that you usually heard. As well, like Pamela, communion was, and I didn't take communion that day, um, but seeing couples take communion together was really, really moving. And so Joyce, my partner, and I started coming fairly regularly. And then um, within a few months, Joyce was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer and died six weeks later. So, um, Looking back on that time, I feel so clearly the hand of grace in my being here at this community because not only was it the most painful first years of my life, um, it was as if that huge gulf that Joyce's loss left in my life just became filled with the spiritual yearning and I have this passionate, just this passionate spiritual journey going on. And 
gratefully, so gratefully, people like uh, Reverend Dr. Mona West were here and Mona became my spiritual director and guided me and companioned me and, you know, the people in this community as well. So, and then, you know, like so many of us got involved in service, which I think is so important in making community and making connections in this church, but that really is a larger question. But so, uh, and that was in 2000, 2001. So a long, a long journey, not as long as yours. Um, so um, how about how about how each of us came to be interested in and involved, you know, decide that we wanted to companion folks in the Code of Colors? I think you were the, I, I think you might have been, yeah. you might have the longevity here, Roger. They, so we're getting ready to celebrate our fifth <clears throat> tomorrow. Four months after they started, at the very end of the summer of uh, 17, they had a potluck. And th this group had decided we want to get more, we get more interest. And I can remember Philippa Darnell, the core group winner, Angela. Mm -hmm. And I decided to come. And the reason that I did, uh, my background, I was an actuary and then I have, I've had about 35 years in ESL, English as a second language. Mm -hmm. And this had always been in my mind, but I grew up in Topeka. My circumstances, I was embedded in both the Hispanic and Jewish community. So I've had, since I was a child, um, understanding of those communities. And then I got into ESL, and I had students from Asia, Europe, even Africa. But I always sensed that the one cultural or ethnic group I was deficient in was African American. And so when this potluck came, I thought, okay, I had it arm's length, <laughs> and I just loved it. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember who I went up and talked to. I think it may have been Angela, and I said, very sheepishly, Ari, would, would you let a white person in this? You know, did I just kind of <laughs> sneak into your potluck? Because it was nobody else. Uh -huh. And they said, sure. And they introduced me to Winter, so force of nature. <laughs> and, I said, and I started coming. And so I guess to answer my reason was my... I kind of have kind of an international consciousness, so you know, in all these cultures, I've been to Ramadan break, Ramadan dinners, you know, for years. So it was the missing piece in what I considered my kind of global understanding right here in my own backyard, and uh, I just decided I have never regretted it for a moment. Mm. Never regretted it. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Great, great. How about you, Pamela? Well, <clears throat> first of all, I think uh, the background is that my, in my professional life, I'm an instructional technology specialist, but my passion at my work is uh, my participation, participation on the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee. And through that work, I've had lots of professional opportunities to learn about anti-racism and uh, where uh, my role in all of that. So that's part of something that I'm always seeking, I guess. And I uh, took the um, Sacred Conversations class here at Cathedral of Hope, and uh, Winner was um, the, one of the facilitators of that. And she and I became friends beyond that, really. And after that was over, then I felt 
comfortable and confident asking her about Code of Colors because I knew it existed, but like you, I didn't, um, I, I can't imagine why I had this idea that I might not be welcome because every experience I've had at Cathedral of Hope has been an embracing and welcoming experience. But Winner sort of took me into that group, actually, and then sure enough, it was exactly what I knew it would be. And I don't believe that you can, um, that you can have transformation without actually being with people. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, I have tried in certain circumstances to put myself in uh, circumstances where I would be interacting with people of color. And then, of course, they, you, you develop friendships and, um, you know, there are all kinds of things that hold you there afterwards. Um, but I, I, I've had to put myself in some uncomfortable places, I think. And so that was a little bit of an uncomfortable first step. But never since. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we can all probably relate to that one a little bit. Well, um, I mean, you know, like all of our stories, I imagine that there really are all of these underground confluences about how we got first got connected to Code of Colors, um, and but the ones that are at the surface for me are Reverend Doctor. Barber's coming to Dallas and he spoke at Temple Emmanuel and I swear I said to somebody if we if he let us out you know this building right now and told us we were marching on the Capitol I would be I would follow him because and just as so many people the first time you hear Barber and every time you hear Barber he's such a modern-day prophet and uh, his biblical grounding and he has that big voice and you know and all of it I was absolutely transformed and I got involved in the Dallas chapter of the poor people's campaign um, for a while and um, and about the same time UCC was writing the sacred conversations curricula and I went online and I started reading them and I thought they were very powerful and part of it I think is because I you know I'm an Eng you know was an English teacher the power of the narrative of these and hearing five voices you know of five of the national pastors tell their story about how they came to have this awareness about their own white privilege or the you know how deeply enmeshed we were as a culture and in institutional racism or whatever I was I was profoundly moved by uh, and Tracy Blackman was one of those and John Dorauer you know our, our president um, and then of course they had the essays that were um, more statistical political uh, sociological which are also really powerful and then another component of that is that they were asking the participants who were doing the curriculum to write our own spiritual journey based on issues around race and so to go back to the earliest points in our lives and to think about you know how we hurt our parents, where did we go to school with people of color, you know, and, and those sorts of things. And then start asking yourself all those questions of, you know, um, who do I read? Do my spiritual books include any people of color? Well, mine didn't 
at the time. Um, I mean, and just one question after another that just took you more deeply into it. And then, so Roger Poindexter, God bless his soul, Roger and I started the first group, Pamela and Wonder were in the second group, and we had this beautiful, beautiful, beautifully diverse and thoughtful group of 17 and we were together for seven or eight weeks and oh my goodness we started with a dinner together which was really really lovely and I was so nervous I was so so nervous um, and I won't tell the story but I made like a racial faux pas the very first night we were there and Roger, Roger called me out on it after we were through and Roger's so gentle in his calling out but you know I thought oh god you know I'm you know here I you know said I'm going to be the person to help facilitate this but you know God provides and and the whole community lifted each other up and it was uh, you know it was an amazing journey it was one of the deepest journeys I have had um, so at the end of that um, I had written a ritual kind of for our closure and one of the questions was to ask each person to sort of make a pledge to how, about how they would continue the work. And, um, and so for me, getting involved in Code of Colors was the way that I was going to... Now, and I will say, Angela Turner was in our group. And so to begin a friendship, like Pamela, to begin a friendship with Winter, to begin a friendship with Pamela, I mean, with uh, Angela, who I just fell in love with. Um, you know, she just draws you right into her heart and with her authenticity. So she was the in the leadership role that first year. Um, so I... Yeah, I have never looked back either. Thank you for listening to this edition of Putting on a Coat of Colors. This podcast is a community storytelling project of Coat of Colors, a Council of Cathedral of Hope, United Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. Cathedral of Hope is the largest predominantly LGBTQIA congregation in the world. Our church has a strong community presence and global reach through its online ministry. We self-identify as a church that is progressive, inclusive, and social justice-minded. You can find out more about Cathedral of Hope at www.cathedralofhope.com. In the mission statement of Code of Colors, we assert that, through faith, hope, and love, Code of Colors is a council for all people that seeks to decrease the cultural divide and increase a multicultural presence in the church and the community. You can find out more about the outreach programs of this group by searching Code of Colors on Facebook. That's spelled C-O-L-O-U-R-S. And request to join the group. <laughs>